Good morning, guys. This is Mr. Harmon again with U.S. History Notes for Friday, March 20th, 2020. Today I'm going to be covering Chapter 23, the Post-Watergate Period, Section 3, the Carter Transition, and Domestic Issues. Just as a reminder, the notes will be on Moodle under the Notes section, and I will be online for office hours today from 10 o'clock to noon in the Moodle section entitled Office Hours. If you guys need anything, pop on, let me know. Otherwise, I will talk to you on Monday. All right, with that, let's get to it. All right, so the first thing we're going to be looking at is the election of 1976. Just to give you kind of a little bit of background information of uh, what's going on here with uh, Carter, what's going on here with uh, Ford, um, and kind of how this plays out. So the first uh, thing to kind of look at here, in the election of 1976, uh, for the Republicans, it was a weird situation from the get-go. As we were getting close to the election, like 1975, Ford openly announced that he was not going to run. And so the Republicans are looking for somebody new, somebody different, uh, kind of a new face for the party. And they eventually will settle on a guy named Ronald Reagan, a former actor, former governor of California. Seems like a great possible option. That being said, after Ronald Reagan starts getting some uh, um, strength built up, some some uh, voting power built up, uh, Ford announces out of nowhere he's going to run. And so it's a weird situation where it's like the Republicans feel they have to back Ford because he's their guy, he's their president. However, a lot of Republicans already tied their wagons to Reagan. Um, That being said, Ford eventually will get the nomination. Um, Reagan will kind of be put on the back burner, hoping that he will run again in 18, I'm sorry, 1980. Um, Eventually, the Democrats will settle on what they're calling the quote unquote outsider candidate, um, that being Jimmy Carter from Georgia. Um, The big thing Carter is going to run on is being that outside candidate. He's going to emphasize that he is not from D.C. He is not corrupt like Ford was. He is not tied to people in D.C. And therefore, he is a a new, clean, fresh face for the uh, presidency. Eventually, what we're going to see is this election very much is not about who's the better candidate, but who screws up less, which is just not the kind of situation you want. You don't want the lesser of two evils in an election. You want the better of the best candidates possible. And that's unfortunately not what we have here. Um, So when you look at the popular vote, uh, Carter polls just over 50%. Ford polls right about 48%. Um, So it's a very close popular vote. As for the Electoral College, it's also rather close. Carter will take 297 votes and Ford will take 240 votes. Um, So even though Ford had very much kind of screwed up by pardoning Nixon, he still does rather well in this election and comes quite close to winning this election, which just would have been absolutely bananas given the last two and a half years. Anywho, we've now got Carter as the president. Now, the next thing that we're going to be looking at, and for the remainder of this section, what we're going to be looking at are the domestic issues of uh, Jimmy Carter. So there are five major things that we're looking at here. 
Um, the five issues will include some economic things, some energy uh, saving issues, uh, deregulation, amnesty issues, and lastly, some civil rights movement issues. So bear with me here. It's all domestic issues, but they are different domestic issues. So the first major domestic issue that we're looking at are some economic issues. Um, and within these economic issues, there's three things that we're looking at. So remember that under uh, the end of LBJ, throughout Nixon, and throughout Ford, we had major problems with inflation, major problems with unemployment. Um, and these are also going to continue on to Carter. Um, so one of the first issues that he is going to deal with is uh, trying to do uh, government deficit spending. Um, what I mean by that is he... He's, he's looking to try and increase the amount of money that's available to help the U.S. However, he's also wanting to try and cut how much debt that we're in. Um, not exactly a possible situation. If you're going to spend money, it's got to come from somewhere. And a lot of it's going to possibly come from debt, especially if we've already set the budget. Um, what we'll see as a result of the government deficit spending by Carter is uh, inflation will go up by about 10% in the four years that he's in office, which is not a good thing. Second of all, we're going to see that uh, he tries to cut government spending at one point. Um, when he first tries this, we're going to see that inflation does um, slow down a little bit. Um, but when he cuts government spending, he's going to be cutting it on the lower class with social welfare programs. Not necessarily cutting the military or cutting education or cutting any number of other things you could possibly cut. Not that you want to cut those, but he's going to cut social welfare. Um, and when that hurts the lower class, that's the group that would have been voting for him. And so they're going to start to turn against him. In response to that, we get to the third thing, which is going is that he is going to increase government spending. Now, when you saw inflation drop when he cut spending, as you can assume, Inflation is going to go up when he does increase spending. Plus, we're going to see interest rates across the country will jump by about 26% when he increases spending. Um, and so it doesn't really matter how you want to look at it. Um, when he tries to cut money and when he tries to spend money and when he tries to do deficit spending, everything he's doing in terms of spending from the government is very much not working in the economy. And so really there's going to be a lot of faith that is lost on the Democrats here uh, under Carter because it doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing. The second big domestic issue we're looking at are dealing with some energy saving issues. Um, and all of this stems from a study that was actually done in the 1970s. Um, and so the study had been put uh, together on oil consumption uh, for the U.S., um, where we're getting our oil from, how much we're consuming, what we're doing with oil. Um, and eventually one of the biggest things that came from the study was that 40%, 40% of all oil that the U.S. is using is coming from foreign countries. In particular, it was coming from OPEC countries. Now, just as a reminder, that's the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. Uh, those are countries like Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, um, Bahrain, Qatar, the UAE. Uh, Venezuela will eventually join that. And, and, and again, that was kind of like a union of these oil-producing countries um, who say how much they're going to produce and how much they're going to sell it for. So 40% of our oil was coming from those countries. 
Um, essentially what that means is at any point if they cut off uh, the oil stream, uh, 40% of our energy is gone like that. Um, so that's a very scary situation to be thinking about. Um, as a result, Carter is going to say that basically he wants to come up with a new way for the U.S. to push energy. And so in 1977, he creates what was known as the Department of Energy. And basically, they're going to push four big changes to how we're dealing with energy in the U.S. First of all, they were going to try and increase taxes on oil in the U.S. Um, so it's not that they necessarily want to raise the price on oil, but they do want to try and shift Americans away from oil. If it becomes too expensive, people will not buy it. They will come up with new means for energy. Second of all, he was looking to try and force, or this group was trying to look to force uh, U.S. utilities, um, uh, for example, water, uh, gas, electric, things like that, off of oil and into alternative sources of energy. Um, so solar energy, wind energy, nuclear energy, things like that. Third, he uh, wanted to push this huge tax cut incentive program for any businesses in the U.S. that were going to push new and alternative energy. So very much is basically the government saying, if you try and go into solar, wind, nuclear energy, you will have no taxes that you have to pay. Huge incentive for companies to do this. Fourth and finally, kind of going with the previous one, they're going to push economic aid to any businesses that are going to create new synthetic oil. So if you're willing to try and create a new synthetic oil that's, that's based in the U.S., not in foreign countries, we're going to give you money to do that. So overall, what we're going to see is this department has a lot of success early on. Um, very much uh, people are excited about this. They, they want to see new alternative energy. However, the very first crisis that we have is going to result in a panic of the U.S., so what's going to happen is on March 28th, 1979, a nuclear reactor on Three Mile Island, which is near uh, uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, will have a partial, and when I say partial, I mean partial meltdown. I don't mean like, oh my gosh, uh, an entire nuclear reactor blows up. I mean, they had a small crack, a little bit of nuclear uh, energy is released. Nothing that's going to harm the environment catastrophically, nothing that's going to blow up, nothing that's going to be um, like a crazy situation, a small, a very small nuclear melt, okay? So anywho, we have this small uh, nuclear meltdown uh, near the town of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. The media hears about it, freaks out, causes mass panic to the point where 140,000 people in Harrisburg flee the area because they're waiting for nuclear explosion. I mean, realize what, what the U.S. and the U.S. public and the U.S. media knows about the word nuclear. We know that Hiroshima and Nagasaki got blown up 30 years ago. And so when we hear nuclear meltdown, we, th we think, oh my gosh, the whole city's going to blow up. That being said, immediately after the uh, situation on Three Mile Island, Carter is going to react by creating the Nuclear Regulatory Committee. And essentially, this is going to create a ton of rules on nuclear reactors, which I'm not saying is a bad thing by any means, but it's really going to try and kind of stem the creation of uh, nuclear reactors at the time because everyone's going to be afraid of them. So while this was an awesome program, it kind of gets its legs cut out from under it uh, just two years into its creation, which is an unfortunate situation.
The third big domestic issue we look at is deregulation. Um, and so essentially this is the idea where to try and inspire economic growth and development in trade, that you're going to remove safety rules in trade. Um, so what I mean by this, uh, Carter in particular is going to really deal with the transportation industry. Um, and what he's going to basically do is he's going to say any weight limit rules that have applied to you in the past no longer apply to you. So the really good example that I like to give here is um, if we've got a plane and that plane can hold safely 100 people and fly and land safely, we know that 100 is the limit that should be on that plane. In this situation, Carter is going to say, ignore that number and stuff as many people onto that plane as you can, because the more people on that plane, the more money that plane can make. The dangerous and crazy thing about that is if you put too many people on the plane and the plane does somehow manage to get off the ground, um, it's going to be fighting gravity. And there's a very good chance it doesn't land safely. There's a very good chance it crashes because there's too much weight on the plane. That's the situation that we're getting into. We're taking away rules on safety at the risk of trying to make more money. That being said, we will make more money, but understand there is danger. That being said, we will see that Carter starts this, Reagan, who will be president next, continues it, Bush Sr. will continue it, Clinton will continue it, and it has been a thing that we have seen over about the last six or seven presidencies where deregulation has become a big issue. We're trying to make money, but we're doing it at the potential loss or risk of safety. The fourth big issue that we're looking at was a rather controversial one for Carter called the amnesty issue. Um, so what's going on here, once Vietnam and Korea were both officially done, now realize Korea has been done for 20 some odd years here, but once Vietnam is officially done, um, it, it kind of officially finished under Ford, um, Carter wants to try in what he calls, quote, heal, unquote, the uh, US public or like bring us back together uh, in unity. And, and to do that, he's going to grant what he calls a general pardon or amnesty to the entire US. Specifically, though, it's meant to affect the draft in the war dodgers. So any men that had been drafted but then had left the country or had skipped out on the draft in any way that they wanted to do that, um, he's now saying that they are forever forgiven in the U.S. Understand, veterans of Korea, veterans of Vietnam, and a lot of Republicans that have very much supported the wars are going to be furious with Carter about this issue. They're going to very much believe that he is allowing people that broke the law to get away with it. And a lot of veterans are going to be very upset because they had to go fight the war and they didn't get to skip out and they're not getting necessarily anything for that. Whereas the people that skipped it now are not going to be in any sort of trouble at all. Um, so understand both sides of this. Carter's excited about it, um, but Republicans and veterans are going to be upset about it. The fifth and final issue that we're looking at here is the uh, series of civil rights movements issues that are going on under Carter. Um, so it's it's kind of a weird thing to start with here because uh, Carter seems like he supports the civil rights movement when he is campaigning, um, but understand where he's from. He's from Georgia, which is the South. And so while he might say he supports the civil rights movement, it's gonna be hard for people to believe him 
And then when he gets in office, he doesn't do a whole lot, which also makes it very hard for people to believe him. That being said, we see three things here kind of uh, involving the civil rights movement coming from Carter. Um, first of all, when he puts in his staff in the White House, uh, 12% of the people he hires will be uh, minority groups. Um, so it's not just African-Americans, but this is going to include Asian-Americans, women, um, any different minority group. Um, that will be the highest percentage number of any president to this point in all of U.S. history. So, I mean, it is a substantial deal here. Second of all, we are going to see that uh, he tends to support what is called affirmative action hiring in the U.S. Um, so this is the idea that uh, businesses are going to be more favorable uh, to hire or to help minorities who have been discriminated against in the past than they are to uh, be hiring or helpful to groups that have not been discriminated against in the past. So it's not necessarily being racist or, or sexist, but it's saying that groups that have struggled very badly in the past are going to be looked upon more favorably than groups who haven't had those problems in the past. The third and final thing that we see here is a unique and kind of unusual situation. Um, so this doesn't really deal with Carter, um, but Carter was in charge, and so we kind of link it to Carter. Um, so this was the Supreme Court case called the Regents of the University of California versus Alan Bake. Um, what happens in this uh, case is uh, they're going to bring up for the first time in U.S. history the idea of what they'll call reverse discrimination. Now, before we get into this, I just want to point out that is a nonsensical thing. Discrimination is discrimination. There is there is no reverse discrimination. Discrimination is discrimination. You can discriminate against white people. You can discriminate against black people. You can discriminate against men. You can discriminate against women. There's not a thing called reverse discrimination. That's nonsense. Discrimination is discrimination. That being said, what this case is about is a white student named Alan Bake was applying to the University of California for medical school. And the two times that he applies, he is going to get rejected. He eventually petitions the school to find out why he's getting rejected and finds out that the school is using what's called a quota system. Essentially how the quota system works is they're going to say if they have 100 positions that they can fill for medical school at the University of California, a certain percentage of that number is going to go to white people. A certain percentage of that number is going to go to men. A certain percentage is going to go to women. So there's going to be, let's say, 100 positions. 10 will go to white men. 10 will go to white women. And then they're going to do a similar situation for black men, black women. And then a similar situation for Asian men, Asian women. And then a similar situation for Jewish men, Jewish women. And so each race and each gender will get a certain percentage of the quota for each new school year. Um, why that matters here is they're not going to necessarily look at what you've done in your background. So it doesn't necessarily matter on your GPA or uh, what programs you've been in. It matters on the quota. So once they fill the white male quota, 10 white men are in the school. No more white men will get into the school. Or once they fill the uh, black female quota, 10 black women are in the school. No more black women will get into the school. Why that becomes very interesting is when Alan Bake applies, all of the white male positions were already taken, but there were other positions that were open. That being said, he's not any of those other positions, and so he's not going to be allowed to be in. Furthermore, what he finds out is that 
people that had applied that were not white men, um, so this could be uh, Asian American women or black men or any other group, um, were not as qualified as he was, and yet they still got in. Now, again, it was all based on this quota system. And so what eventually the Supreme Court is going to rule is that you cannot use a quota system for applicants to get into college. They're going to say the quota system is now illegal. However, they are going to say that you can use race and you can use gender as a bias to accept people into college, not to reject, but to accept people into college. So what I mean by that is they're going to say you can say as a college, we are going to allow in at least some of each race and at least some of each gender. Now, you can't put a number on it, but you can say, um, we are going to make sure that there are some spots, no number specific, but some spots for black men, or there are some spots for white women, or there are some spots for Asian American men. Um, you can say you are going to allow in every gender and every race, you just can't put a number on it. Um, so this was a very interesting case, and, and what really became interesting about it from Carter's perspective is he had very much openly supported uh, that African Americans should be getting into colleges, especially kind of considering the affirmative action issue that he had just supported. Um, but he'll be also very much against that quota system of putting a number on the race and the gender getting into schools. Um, so anywho, again, this was called reverse discrimination, um, but I want to be clear that discrimination is discrimination. Um, there is no such crazy thing as reverse discrimination. So anywho, that was the uh, uh, Regents of uh, the University of California versus Alan Bake case, which killed the quota system. And that is the end of domestic issues for Carter, and that is the end of section three notes for the day. That being said, just as a reminder, I want to point out to you that the notes will all be available on Moodle under the notes section. Um, I will hold office hours today from 10 to noon on Moodle under the office hours section. If you guys have any questions about anything, please let me know. Um, otherwise, I will talk to you guys on Monday. Um, I hope that you guys have a good weekend. I hope that you stay safe. Uh, make sure you wash your hands, be clean, and I will talk to you later. All right, bye-bye.